Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. John 10, 11 through 21. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon, he is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of the one who's oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And you may now kiss the reader. <laughs> Amen. You can only do that when Gina reads, so I might as well take advantage of it. Thank you, brother. Amen. Amen. Hey, man, you, um, you've been with us. You know we've been in the I Am statements. Um, and if you were here two weeks ago, then you would know that um, we were in John 10, and, and Jesus begins uh, to paint this picture, and he starts, he really starts, um, uh, uh, gosh, am I, where am I at? Yes. So Jesus begins um, by, by really uh, painting uh, uh, just a landscape for us, bringing us into ancient Near East agriculture, right? And so he just starts first by just setting the scene in the first five verses. He's like, hey, man, this is how it's typically set up, that that usually on the side of a cliff somewhere or where there was a natural uh, decay or cavern where things can uh, accumulate or usually on the side of uh, some structure. I'm sorry, am I doing it? Hopefully, hopefully not, I'm sorry. Um, But usually on the side of some structure, there is a pen. People come by, they drop off uh, their sheep in the pen. And we know that there's something really unique about ancient Near East agriculture and farming that um, in America, in the West, um, what we've known if we've grown up watching black and white cowboy movies, that we drive our agriculture, right? We have these dogs and we have those, those, those other friends that kind of help us steer cattle and steer sheep. Um, but what was really unique as Jesus paints the picture for us about um, sheep is that they are all led how? Vocally. That the sheep kind of know the voice, right? Um, but Jesus doesn't, um, in the first initial set when we preached uh, two weeks ago, he does not compare himself to anything other than, what was the, the I am statement from a couple weeks ago? He says, I am the gate. He doesn't say I'm the sheep. He doesn't say I'm the shepherd in that one. He doesn't say I'm the pin. He just says, I am the gate. And he says, I stand between the outside world, and a world that is filled with life and life in abundance, come to me. And I 
kind of challenged you because I wanted you to really think about, I know that we have driven home the fact that you are a no-down, dirty, dark, black, sinner, depraved, and you couldn't, you were blind and you couldn't see. We've driven it, and I hope you get it and you understand it. I'm a good Presbyterian. I'm a good old brother of Calvin. I do believe in some Romans depravity. But if your theology does not have room for God who is inviting you into life and to have it to the full, then you are selling yourself short. It's your father's delight to bring you into this good land. There have been some of y'all I've sat with and you've honestly and openly from your mouth, you have told me, PT, I, I struggle when the Lord does good things for me. Why? Because of what? And where does that come from? It does not mean that our life will be, as the poem would say, a crystal stair or streets paved with gold until we get to glory. But if you don't think that your good father desires good things for you, and you're missing the wholeness and the beauty of what it means to be a sheep in his fold. Amen, somebody. So now, Jesus carries the analogy and the metaphor a step further. He moves from being the gate, the one that separates you from a life of life and abundance, inner peace, joy in God's presence. And now, he says, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. And I'm really going to, I got two points. He's going to say, I'm the good shepherd, and here's the reason why. Because I lay down my life for my sheep. Then he's going to come back in 14 and say, I'm, gonna, I'm the good shepherd because I know my sheep. All right? Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd because I lay down my life for my sheep. Then he says, I'm the good shepherd because I know my sheep. And we'll put a couple sub points in there and then we'll get out your way. Let's just talk about shepherding, right? You know, I love uh, uh, being in this building because there's so many uh, older pictures and relics, if you will, from like the, 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 the Christianity I grew up in with you got uh, catalogs, Sunday school books, and all kind of VBS stuff, and you still got the old pictures. And every once in a while, if you probably look around the building in some places, uh, maybe even flip open some Bible books, some children's uh, Sunday school books, you'll see sweet Jesus who kind of uh, the prototype was from Cali or something because he got these nice flowing locks, you know what I'm saying? And his toenails, he got the super chocolate goes on retro, you know what I'm saying? But he's looking fresh up in there. And then he's sitting down. Usually when Jesus is talking, suffer the little children to come on to me. And then every once in a while you'll get this picture of Jesus sitting on the step. And he's got this sweet, beautiful sheep. Sheep ain't got one spot of dirt on it, right? It's just beautiful. The sheep probably just smell like flower blossoms. And Jesus is kind of just stroking the sheep. It's like Jesus is the good shepherd, you know what I mean? Can I just tell y'all, that ain't what shepherding was. That is not at all what shepherding was. You need to understand that shepherding was a rugged kind of business done by some rugged kind of dudes who probably had busted toenails, probably missing a couple shiny gold fronts in there. You know, I don't know what they used to do, but they probably missing some situations. Bruised up, dirty, nasty. That's what shepherding was. It was not a glorious business. 
and it most certainly was filled with some uh, opportunities for danger and peril. This is what shepherding was. And so what we see here is that shepherding was an exhausting and kind of dangerous kind of business. And that if one was to take up the vocation of being a shepherd, the idea would be that, man, you know, obviously these sheep are, represent a lot of capital and livelihood. They're very valuable. So, therefore, my job is kind of important. But also that because they represented a lot of capital and value, um, that essentially the sheep were always in danger from without and from within. The sheep were always in danger, whether they were in danger of wandering off on their own accord or whether they were in danger, as we talked about two weeks ago, of thieves and robbers maybe breaking in at night, overrunning the people at the gate and taking the sheep with them. This was a dangerous and tedious and tiring business. So Jesus says, I don't know what they're thinking. Clearly they know where the homeboy's hometown was. They like, you, is that Jesus, Joseph's son? Them stone-cutting folks, what they know about shepherding? I don't know what they were thinking. But I think in and of itself, for Jesus to step into that and say, yeah, I'm the good shepherd. I think he got a lot of attention. This wasn't coming to a people who don't swim in the agricultural world. This would almost be like, yeah, I know computers, and you're looking like us walking up to to Jordan Pernum, like, yeah, bro, I know spreadsheets, and he laughing at you because <laughs> he knows how many hours he spent in classrooms and staring at Microsoft software. He, bro, you don't know what an Excel anything is, right? This would be Jesus busting up in the mold, and then he kind of will modify. Verse 12 says that, he says that the hired hand is not the shepherd. He doesn't own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. And then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand, cares nothing for the sheep. We got introduced in the early part with these thieves and robbers that clearly kind of have evil intentions. But these hired hands are not the thieves and the robbers, right? The thieves and the robbers, they're trying to steal the sheep, right? They're, just, they're trying to take at your expense, you know what I'm saying? They don't care nothing about you. They don't care nothing about the system, right? They just want to do harm. The hired hands are different. Because the hired hands are there. They're not inherently wicked, right? The hired hands are just more devoted to themselves and their own self-interest and their own livelihood than they are the sheep. They're not bad people. Just when it get hot in the kitchen. Y'all know classically, if you go to any one of these wonderful establishments in Memphis, for food, for retail, whatever, you know, you reach a certain point, you, you, you know, you kind of, you, 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 you have a situation and, and ma'am, I purchased this. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying I've experienced this at all. But, ma'am, I purchased this. Ma'am, you know what? It says it was $59.99. Ma'am, it was marked down for $32.99 and I'm not leaving this store until I get $20 back. Well, uh, uh, inevitably... The person, young lady said, man, I don't know what you got going on right there. All I'm doing is what it says. And essentially, it's just back and forth, and it's back and forth. And then finally, the cashier, the registered person just says, ma'am, they don't pay me enough for this. This ain't in my job description. As the viral video said, this is above me. 
<laughs> that was for you, babe, just so you could chuckle. The higher hand says, man, I don't know those sheep. I don't care about those sheep. And if it comes down to me dying or the sheep dying, I'm sorry, sheep. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And the first qualifier is he gives. He says, I am not a hired hand. I care for my sheep. So when it comes down to it and, and it is them dying or me dying, Do you know your good shepherd today? Do you know that he cares for you? It wasn't enough even for just Jesus to say that I am a, like a shepherd. He doesn't say I am like a shepherd. He doesn't compare himself to a shepherd. What he does is he uses the definite article, I am the good shepherd. And he doesn't even just leave it as I am the shepherd. He uses that word good. That word good in Greek means kalos. And what it means is sometimes good doesn't really capture the essence of it. Because actually what the word good is trying to get across uh, to you is this. is the idea of beauty or excellence. One commentator says this. That it's especially of things so constituted as to answer the purpose for which that class of things was created. I'm not the good shepherd. I am the shepherd that everything else tries to resemble. I am shepherding. And why are you the prototype of shepherding? Because I care for my sheep. Do you know that you're cared for today? Do you know? That if it came between you dying and him, that Jesus has already made that choice. He says, I'm the good shepherd because I know my sheep. Verse 14, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. You know, this is a, this is a, where I've kind of been landing on and kind of meditating and stewing on this idea of knowing. And of course, we, we already talked about this idea that um, verses 3 through 4, um, that, that, that there is this, this mutual knowledge that exists between the sheep and the shepherd. So much so that the shepherd literally just has some kind of vocal command and the sheep who are his, they just start moving. He don't have to start tapping them. He don't got to start taking the stick in there and separating them. He don't have to argue with the hired hand to say, no, bro, you got the wrong one. That one belonged to me. As soon as the hoodie hoo come, they start moving. And we learn also that they will not follow another voice. There is such an intimate knowledge. Been reading this book, Hearing God by Dallas Willard. And I got a couple quotes that, unless you got them up there, I'm going to have to read from the screen. I think this is important for us to just kind of pause and meditate on, y'all. He says, sometimes it seems as if our personal relationship with God is treated as 
no more than an understanding that Jesus and his Father have about us. Our personal relationship then only means that each believer has his or her own unique account in heaven, which allows them to draw on their merits of Christ to pay their sin bills. Or possibly it means that God's general providence for his creation is adequate to provide for each person. I think essentially we've kind of reduced our relationship with Christ. The majesty of union with Jesus to, well, you know what? I don't know if he wants to know me intimately or personally. All I know is when I sin or if I'm in trouble, you know what? I can go debit from daddy's account and I can be okay. That does not at all seem like entering into the gate of life and life of abundance. That is so far lower than a shepherd who knows his sheep and a sheep who knows him. Do you want to know your shepherd? Because I'm telling you this right now. Your shepherd wants to know you. And he wants to be known intimately by you. And this is what the Bible has said throughout history. Look at the history. As Christians, we stand in a millennial long tradition of humans who have been addressed by God, who know God, y'all. As I was exhorting last week, I was saying a whole bunch of things. But one of those things I was saying is, uh, was one of the things that we kind of got from the men's retreat, which blessed our socks off. That we, justification is really the launching point for the life eternal. But so many of us are just stuck at justification. Thank God my sins are paid for. And then you just stop. That was only supposed to be the beginning. The forgiveness has now given you the best part of eternal life. Access to God. Do you want to know him? You can. You can. You could be like those little sheep in the pen who move at the most gentlest, subtlest sound of his voice. You could be like those little sheep and be comforted in his presence. You can know God, friends. And this knowledge of God, this intimacy, it doesn't come out of nowhere. And I'm not making this up because here's what the scripture says. Essentially, uh, this. He says in verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. All right, let me rewind. I told you God wants to know you and to be known by you. He desires to have an intimate relationship with you, not just appease your guilt over your sin. How do you know that? I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know my voice, and I'm not just pulling that out of thin air. Where, where is the prototypical relationship for this? What does this intimacy look like? Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Well, are you telling me, Pastor Tim, that Jesus desire, desires to know me, and he desires for me to know him like he knows the other, the, the first part of the Trinity? Oh, yes, amen. That's what he said. Anybody want to know him? Because he wants to know you. He says that the intimacy of the sheep and the shepherd is mirrored on the intimacy between the father and the son. 
D.A. Carson says this. He says, however clearly, he said, however clearly the gospel, this gospel portrays Jesus as the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, amen and amen, it insists no less. Everybody say no less. Everybody say no less. It insists no less emphatically that Jesus has a peculiar relationship with those the Father has given him. Do not miss that in this passage. That the Savior of the world also wants to have a unique, personal, conversational relationship with you. Is that good news to somebody? And I don't care how weird it is. I don't care how awkward it is. I want you to keep leaning into and believing that truth. I believe that's where so many of us... It is not a question about whether or not you believe in the lordship of Jesus. You believe that. It's not a question about whether you believe in his substitutionary atonement. Yes, you've already believed that. I believe that so many of us are missing out on the life and the abundance, the inner peace, and the lasting joy. It's because we've, we've kind of been sold short that that was all there was or that intimacy with God is so hard or so unachievable, it's not even worth pursuing. I'm telling you, what you have been most missing in your life right now, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you are an elder at this church or the pastor of this church. What you have most been missing in your life right now is intimacy with God. So before you change your rhythm, before you invest in another something to help you find inner peace, maybe try leaning into the good shepherd first. I love this. Verse 16, he says, I got other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. He said, I got to bring them also. And how, how will those sheep know? They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Can I just tell you, the good shepherd is still speaking. And he got other sheep all over. He's still drawing in. Lord, how they going to know? Because his will hear his voice. Can I just tell you, I was messing with Sierra. I was wrecking my brain. I was leaving here last Sunday, and I was like, oh, man, the enemy was on me. I was just, oh, Lord, man, you know what? Lord, maybe we, I don't know, and, you know, I, uh, this and this, and what about this and what about that? And one of the things that was bothering me is was we had an unbeliever in our midst last week. I have to find Sierra. Sierra will tell you the story. But I've been a part of praying for this sweet baby and her conversion. And so, man, as I walked out, I knew God had visited us in a rich and mighty way. But that, that, just because you know something to be true, that don't mean the enemy will stop nagging you. Amen? Oh, so he was working me over. He was trying to work me over. And I was battling all night, all night. And then finally I saw Sierra for a prayer Wednesday morning. And I was very nervous. I didn't let on, but I tried to sneak it. I was like, uh... It's a fun service for our friend. And I just knew. I was like, man, she couldn't have, 
nothing was clear. There was, the word wasn't like, just open it. So I'm sure she, man, negative impression. Oh, she loved it. But how? Because I believe the good shepherd through the spirit does what none of us can do, y'all. And he beckons and he calls and it don't seem like a call, but his sheep know his voice. I was sermon prepping this week. I was sitting in Crosstown and this lady walked by me and she was like, hey. And I was like, hey. And I usually, I'm not very bold. I'm not very confrontational at all. I'm usually passive and running the other directions. But I was like, do I know you? She was like, yeah. And I was like, I do not know you, lady. So I'm doing my thing. She come back. And she's like, so, so you're a pastor? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was like, you know I'm a Messianic Jew. I was like, I did not know that. <laughs> but she seemed ready to engage me. I said, man, let me encourage you. Can I tell you what I'm preaching about? She's like, yeah. I said, well, a couple weeks ago, I preached about Jesus being the gate. And he was like, hey, he's got sheep in this pen, and he's going to call them out, and they'll know his voice. And see, what, what I didn't tell my congregation was then that that initial pen represented Judaism, right? That, hey, he was going to speak into the pen of Judaism, and it wouldn't be all the Jews who would come out, but it would be the true Jews who were truly following the shepherd, who would hear the call of the Messiah, and they would come on out. He said, but then this pen, Jesus says, I've got other sheep. They're not of that pen. Now Jesus has shifted, and he's talking about the full scope of the gospel now to the rest of the Gentile world. He says, hey, i got sheep that don't know it yet, hey, that they're going to hear, and they're going to call me in. I said, man, isn't that so sweet, sister? She was like, yes, brother. Messianic Jew, Gentile military brat, Mobile, Alabama, all a part of the one kingdom of God. Can I get some praise in here, somebody? Just sometimes you just get caught up at the majesty of God and how he's calling and when he's calling and what he's doing. It's just beautiful. This is why we're so committed to wedding and, and bridging gaps between divided communities because we believe this is true. This is day one Christianity, that Jesus does not go picking Christians out of one bucket, but that in order to display the power and the majesty and the beauty of the gospel, he calls all types of men and women for all types of backgrounds from all kind of places on the earth. That's what he does. And you get to be a part of it. And that still blows my mind. Verse 17, the reason he says that my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. And no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. And I have authority to lay it down and authority to tape it up, take it up again. He says this command I received from my father. Let's go back to Jesus laying down his life. We know that that, that kind of was, you know, if, if you're going to be the prototypical shepherd that cares for your sheep, you got to demonstrate that care by laying your life down for the sheep, placing yourself in between death and life and your sheep. But now Jesus is starting to flip that thing a little bit. 
is kind of moving from that metaphorical world, and he's kind of, he's getting ready to kind of turn his attention towards what he's really kind of here to do and who he really is. Because then he starts conflating ideas together. He's like, this laying down of sheep. Shepherd, you might not know if you, you know, going through the Shelby Forest or wherever y'all like to hike. Don't ever invite your pastor on because I ain't going hiking with you. I'm a city slicker. Invite me to hoop. Don't invite me to go hiking. But you don't know what's coming around the corner. You know what I'm saying? Like that, you, this would kind of take you off guard. So when Jesus says, you know, if, if he would have got people initially on, well, yeah, that, I guess that would be a good shepherd if he would protect his sheep, right? Because you never know when danger's going to lurk up. But now he's, he's confusing them now because now he's like, yeah, no, no, I'm not talking about danger running up on you. I'm talking about me laying my life down. This is an intention. So let me give you three things to pay attention to as you meditate on this. He lays down his life, so now we know this is not in, this is intentional. This is not unexpected. This is not accidental. This is not happenstance. Jesus' death was not a random act, as uh, one commentator says, of heroism. He lays it down, and he does it in line with the Father's will, according to verse 18. Jesus' death is intentional. Jesus lays down his life so it's not purposeless. The shepherd, listen to me, y'all. The shepherd would by no means, by no means would he be reckless with his life because Whose life is dependent upon his? The sheep. He would under no circumstances play fast and free with his life. Because he knows if he goes, what happens to the sheep? I, I've been following the Russia-Ukraine situation probably more than Gina would like. Doom, 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 doom. I got all kind of news and every just alerts everywhere. I just need to know what's going on. You know what I'm saying? One of the things that was early, as Russian forces were kind of surrounding Kiev, I was just found myself being so worried about the president Zelensky that we kind of fell in love with and just like, man, so a, just so in admiration of his courage. And it's like, man, you know, and, and, and what he represented. And I was always like, man, get off TV, bro. Don't be on TV because if you die, like what's that going to do to the morale and the fight of the people? <laughs> Jesus says, I got to die, yo. I got to go. And you know, if the prototypical shepherd knows that his life is valuable, that if he lays it down, there's got to be some value for you. It's everything Sarah just told us. I'm dying for your dead situation. <laughs> Do you know I care for you? And if I got up there and I took those nails for you, it would only be so that you can have life and have it abundantly. Jesus' laying down his life was not purposeless. He lays down his life so he could take it up again. Because he knew he would. 
He lays down his life because he's got the resurrection in view. And I love just how he lines up these messages. Because this is absolutely a resurrection passage. Right? He died in order to rise, one commentator says. And by his rising to proceed towards his ultimate goal of being glorified and pouring out the spirit. So that others too might live. Might live. Jesus wants you to live, and he doesn't want that life to just start when he comes one Sunday morning. He wants you. He gave his life so you can live now, y'all. Here Carson goes on to say that, of course, of course, of course, the, the death and the crucifixion was intentional. He says, because how could the most significant event in redemptive history be left to men to figure out? How could it be construed any other way? No, Jesus had to, God the Father, God the Spirit, according to their foreknowledge, they orchestrated this. What would it look like if you truly understood how Jesus' actions aligned with God's commands and how they were ordering all of history? Acts says this. Uh, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Do you truly know? I know you say you were formed, and I know you say you know about predestination, but do you really believe that you have a God who is ordering all of history? And that there is not a rogue atom in this universe, and that there is not a bad attitude or a bad actor that who also does not submit to his will. And who is not on a leash doing only what he is allowed to do. Do you believe it? And if you truly believed it, how would it change your life? Genesis 50 and 20, come five, 50 and 20 comes to mind that, hey, at the end of that horrible event in Joseph's life, what Joseph say? You intended me harm, but God intended it for my good. What if you really believe that God was sovereign over your life? Once again, going back to that intimacy. It says, um, <laughs> the reason that the father loves him is that he lays down his life. Does that mean that, G that God the father was withholding love from Jesus the son? Until he was obedient? No, it just means that we got to keep hammering and beating out of your theology this idea that obedience is somehow contradictory to grace. Because it's just not true. What, what is being said here is that Jesus' obedience was validation of the intimacy. It's so funny, we were laughing at the house. We could just be doing our thing, and you know, during the weekdays, it's crazy. We just trying to function and get out and move to the next thing. And so, you know, Gina, you know, Gina's like, Tim, go outside and pull the trash cans up, um, put the grill and the thing on it, on it, whatever. She didn't ask me what I was doing. And I laughed, and I was kind of flirting, too. I was like, girl, I, you ain't birthed me. 
You ain't my, hey, I ain't your child. And then the kids laugh, they get on it too. We laugh. I think we, we've been knowing each other 21 years now. She don't have to ask me things, yo. And she knows it. And she demonstrates the intimacy because she just tells me. Because she knows that there ain't much that she could ask that I won't do. The obedience, the submission, it is evidence of a vibrant relationship with God Almighty. If you're not obedient, you don't know the shepherd. If your life does not have room for obedience, I don't think you know the shepherd. Because the intimacy, I'm sorry, y'all. Hate you got to roll out, I know. Because the intimacy is validated and exemplified by hearing and obeying. So we'll close it up so they don't have to be jealous. Can you hear his voice, yo? As an unbeliever, if you're sitting in here, I want to tell you, this is not a message to say, oh, my God, I can't hear him. That means I must be out of here. No. I think he's calling you now. I think he used this moment. He's ordained this moment uh, so that you could hear the preach word. This is, his, this is his voice recorded, written down for you so you can hear. And here's how we'll know today that you hear if you respond. If you come and find anybody, you go home tonight and say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know that God who says he dies for his sheep and he, he lays his life down, but he's able to take it up again. And I think that's what this whole Easter season is going to be about. If you can understand and discern that, baby, I'm telling you, you need to keep following that trail because he's calling you. And if you are already a believer in this room, if this word didn't make your heart swoon, I'm not really sure what else will. Because you have a God who cares for you. And you have a God who wants to know you. And he wants you to know him. And he is eliminating every barrier that would separate that. And there is, some of y'all have given up on your life. And you are already at a point where you just kind of, there's all there is. And I'm just telling you, I think this word in John 10 wants to challenge that, that there is always room for more life, more peace, more joy, and abundance and fullness in God's presence. Have you given up on pursuing him? Yo? And I'm just telling you, he's still inviting you. Come a little closer. There's joy and there's peace and there's safety in my presence. Come and know me.